21% uh, were, were asked inappropriate questions about mm. family planning in a job interview or other professional settings. 28% asked inappropriate questions about their, their dating life. Take us a little deeper into how we equip our congregations to have a new, not just this new set of vocabulary, but a new way of, of talking with female ministers. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Reverend Dr. Meredith Stone, the Executive Coordinator of Baptist Women in Ministry or as we also call it, BWIM. Meredith, thank you for joining the conversation. Glad to be back. All right. So you and I have actually sat down, not in person, but three times in this calendar year. Um, Why do you keep doing this to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Because we have a message that needs to be told. Yeah. Yeah, but it is. There's so many folks that I've had all of these online conversations with. And uh, I'm glad for us to have the chance to be doing this face-to-face in person. Well, it just shows uh, your fortitude, uh, your patience, and your goodwill to, to tolerate <laughs> having, <laughs> having a third conversation <laughs> with me. It'll be great. Yeah. Well, this is it's, it's exciting for me because the first two we had, uh, it was kind of like having to share you with uh, somebody else, you know, share the microphone. So right now it's just the, it's just the two of us. Yeah. So, so, um, 
So how how are things? We can get to the report here in just a second, but but how are things in, in the life of Baptist Women in Ministry? Uh, we're recording this week of General Assembly. Um, you know, y'all have had your, your annual uh, luncheon and presentation of awards, and uh, it was amazing the experience. So how, how are things? Things are really good. Um, our annual gathering was phenomenal. We had the Reverend Dr. Gina Stewart, who's president of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Baptist Agency or Association to preach. Um, and maybe we have never heard a more powerful sermon about what it means to be freed and healed and released by Jesus, not tomorrow, but today. And so there's a lot of great energy around that. Um, we're really excited about the information you and I are going to talk about today with the State of Women in Baptist Life Report. So it is a busy time for us because uh, putting out great information like this, having events like this, is not the end of a lot of hard work. A lot of times it's the beginning because it tells us here's where we need to go next and, and puts us into motion. So, so we're excited. Well, let's, let's dive right into it. You just released the State of Baptist Women uh, the State of Women and Baptist Life Report. Um, for those that have never kind of put their hands on the report, or I guess now it's put their fingers on the keyboard, wh what exactly is the report? So this report was dreamed up by the Baptist Women and Ministry Leadership Team in 2003. Uh, so it's, <clears throat> it's a report that serves to track certain statistics around women in ministry among Baptists and to serve as a metric and motivator for progress. Um, that team realized that in order for us to be able to advocate, we had to have the information to be able to give to people. And so the report has continued to evolve over the years. Uh, the statistics that we have tracked consistently are women's ordinations in Baptist churches, the number of women serving as pastors and co-pastors, uh, the number of endorsed women chaplains and counselors, and then the number of uh, or the percentage of women in that are enrolled in master's level programs and Baptist affiliated seminaries where women are supported. Um, so it, it's a great way in which we've been tracking these figures over the past 16 years and we can measure trends and see what's going on. And then the first half of the report of each one that has been published has been unique to give some other information. And so this year we did a survey last fall. We had 555 people participate, which is a really great sample of folks, and over 400 of those were women in ministry. And we wanted to capture more than just the numbers in those statistics. What is life really like for women in ministry among Baptists right now? What are the baggage that they are carrying with them? And then to learn a little bit more about what congregational support looks like in this moment. Um, and so that, that survey and those results are really informing the ways in which we're approaching uh, how we do our work in encouraging and supporting women, but even more so in the ways in which we are advocating um, and helping different groups of people understand how they can do better. So this is the, the seventh uh, State of Women and Baptist Life Report, first commission, as you said, in, in 2003. Looking back over the last six reports, uh, what is changing in Baptist life as it specifically relates to women? Many things are changing, um, and some things maybe not changing as much as we would want. I would say an area in which we have seen the most positive progress 
uh, is in master's level seminary enrollment. And the first report that was published in 2005, the number of, of women that were enrolled in master's level programs was 38%, which was actually pretty great, um, still to be that close to 50%. But over the course of 16 years with that first report published in 2005, we've moved to 52%. That means that over half of the students who are coming out of our Baptist seminaries are women. That means that the rest of the numbers have to be changing to match that stat for this next generation. In the introduction of the, the report, you wrote um, that as you read this report, you might experience both hope and sorrow. Um, take us a little deeper as to why readers might feel this way. Yeah. As with every report that has been put out, um, you can see the areas of progress. And I, I, I love to focus in there on the hard days to be able to say that progress represents another woman who has been able to fulfill her God-given calling, use all of her gifts in service of the church, and that's something to celebrate, even if it's just one. Um, however, the progress that is seen in the statistics especially is very marginal when it exists at all. And you would hope that we were moving faster. You would hope that things were getting closer to matching what we say about our support of women in ministry to what that actually looks like in congregations. Um, the other part in terms of the survey of measuring women's experiences is that anytime there's a statistic that says, you know, for example, 60% of women are experiencing this particular obstacle in ministry, I do like to look on the other side of that and go 40% of women have said they are not experiencing that. And frankly, that's a huge improvement over the past 20, 30 years um, because all of those statistics were probably 100%. We don't have to look back very many decades uh, to be able to say that. And so even whenever we, are, we have these statistics and we say, you know, 50, 60, 70% of women are experiencing this, there, there's another side. There are women who didn't have to check those boxes that said, I have experienced this particular type of discrimination. So places to hope, but it, I think the grief is important uh, because grief and the sorrow can be what motivates us to, to take action in changing the culture of our congregations and examining within ourselves how unconscious and structural sexism is playing out in our contexts. So we're going to we're going to do a deep dive in the report. Um, good. And, and we're going to we're going to settle a good bit into the the grievances that the report um, really shows. But first as Baptist and as maybe as cooperative Baptist we care about those other Baptists somewhat, but you know. We we're, do, we're we care very deeply. Um, but yes, we're here at CBF, yeah, so we'll talk about CBF. CBF. Some of yes. so, so what, what can we celebrate from the report's finding? For CBF. For CBF. Uh, the, the huge gain for, for seminary students over the course of the last uh, 16 years, I think is a really good one. Um, I think we can celebrate the consistency in which women are finding opportunities in chaplaincy. Um, I, I think it's 38% without having that page open of the endorsed chaplains at CBF are women. 
And that's a number that has remained pretty consistent. Even if it drops a little bit, it actually represents more women. We've, we've tried to measure that and make sure. And I, I think that there is great opportunity that's happening there. And so um, another area of hope is that as we were measuring congregational support, people's perceptions of congregational support were actually higher than we anticipated, hmm. which was interesting because there was a disconnect then with the experiences of the women in ministry themselves. Um, and so I, I find there that that, is, that, is, that gap is room for hope, that we don't have two hurdles to overcome and getting people to realize that we need the support I think we realize that we just don't realize how much we need to do about it. And so that is a place I think for hope among CBF. All right, let's, let's settle into the few of the grievances here. Um, you know, serving as a, as a senior pastor in two different church along with several associate roles, I've had my fair share of deacons and congregational leaders questioning my decision and my leadership. Um, and yet, 59% of women surveyed in this report said their judgment was questioned in their areas of expertise. I know this might seem like a dumb question, um, but what are the most common ways this is expressing itself? Um, I'm, I'm gonna go out of limb on people maybe who do or maybe do not recognize their sexist tendencies within congregations. So what are the most yeah. common forms this is happening so that we can educate people and, and make them aware of this? It's a great question. Um, a framework that I like to use that I feel like is faulty in many ways, but maybe can be helpful, is that sexism is very similar, but also very different to racism. So for example, I, I, I think we would probably both say, Andy, I'm not a racist. However, if I don't pay attention every single day to the way in which my white privilege informs the actions that I'm taking, the way that I speak, the way that I make decisions, then I'm not being attentive to the ways in which it has permeated every aspect of my life to have privilege as a white woman. And so gratefully I have people around me who help me in that, but it takes me being intentional not just making a decision, you know, 10, 20 years ago to say, I want to be a person who is not racist or anti-racist. It takes constant work. The same is true of sexism. Um, when, when we think about, well, I, I'm not the person who is um, paying women less, or, or I am not the person who is sexually harassing, and I'm speaking as potentially white male pastor, you know, I'm not the person who is denying women uh, paternity leave. Those are, those are fantastic. However, unless we're conscious every day to think about our interactions, um, truthfully, many women who serve as associates in churches that are very progressive still experience this. They're still experiencing it among their staff. They're still experiencing it among their congregations. And that's why we have the numbers that we have. And this often looks like the way in which uh, a woman gets treated when she walks into a room. 
first comments normally on her shoes or her outfit and not how great her sermon was. That may seem small, but what that communicates is that the only thing I see about you is your appearance and not your substance as a minister of God. And that piles up. Another way in which that happens is as, as women lead in meetings or, or women try to speak in meetings, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's one of those things that a woman can say the most brilliant, wonderful thing in a meeting and people don't hear it. But then when that man says the exact same thing in a louder voice that has a lower tenor, everybody thinks it's the greatest thing to ever happen to planet Earth. And so there are so many ways in which we face these, these small aggressions. You, just as a, 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 aside, a personal anecdote, um, I became a, an administrator in, on a university faculty uh, when I was in my 30s. I had an administrative assistant who was in her 50s. And so oftentimes I would come out of my office into the outer office where she worked and we would be talking about whatever project was going on that I needed her help with. And inevitably when people would walk into the room, they would assume that I was the administrative assistant. If I happened to be the one who had come out to grab something off of her printer and she wasn't there, they definitely assumed that I was the administrative assistant. Um, I heard a story from a, a woman pastor recently um, who had gone to the local association meeting. She was new to her pastorate, and she walked in, and someone said, hey, who are you? And uh, she said, oh, well, I'm the new pastor over at this Baptist church. And the person she was talking to turned around and told everybody, hey, it's the new preacher's wife. And she was like, no, no, I'm the pastor. And that's not a single story that happens to all of us all the time. And when you think about, you know, in a single instance, we do, we kind of laugh at it and we think, how ludicrous can can this be? But but it just piles up. Mm. And when you face that rejection and that demeaning over and over again, it makes you question yourself as a leader, no matter how confident we are, no matter how hard we try. Um, and so this is why training our congregations, this is why training even the male pastors who think that they are the biggest proponents for women in ministry, for them to sit down and say, okay, tell me everything mm. is so important so that we can examine every day the privilege that we have, whatever form that privilege comes in, and in this case, in the form of sexism. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your... CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website 
at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. I'm not going to lie. Earlier when you're like, I got a personal antidote, I was like, oh gosh, what did I say before? (laughs) 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 Um, There's some other findings. I I mean, we could could talk about these for hours and deep dive into each of these, but 21%. Uh, were were asked inappropriate questions about mm. family planning in a job interview or other professional settings. Twenty eight percent asked inappropriate questions about their their dating life. Take us a little deeper into how we how we equip our congregations to have a new not just a new set of vocabulary, but a new way of of talking with ministers, specifically female ministers, um, because I just. Like, I felt uncomfortable even reading the statistics, knowing, like, how do people, how are people not aware that this is, you know, inappropriate um, questions and inappropriate behavior and and things of that nature? So I know this is kind of a a wonky question, but, like, what is the best approach in helping educate our congregations around these things? You know, it's not just personnel chair. It's it's the business meeting stuff that you were talking about earlier or after worship or, or things of that nature. Yeah. This, it happens very regularly. The way in which sexism has permeated not only our society and culture, but but also, you know, it's worth saying the church, the 2,000 years of the church are built and founded upon patriarchy. So it, it seeps into everything of the way we view people. And when women have been not viewed as equal, for so long, all of this just slips into people's minds about the way that they look at women. And they look at women and they see them and their value from a different perspective. So when a woman gets asked, oh, well, are you going to be planning to have kids soon? Or, oh, I see you're not married. What will dating look like for you as our pastor? People feel like they have the right to have access to women's lives as it relates to their relationships with others in a way that they don't think about that with men. It, it, when, a, when a man's being called, they just assume, well, of course, the man's family would follow him. And, and of course, if he has a child, then it, he, his spouse will stay home and take care of the kids. And so we're not going to lose him because... He's got all of the support system. And people look at women and they just assume, oh, well, 
you actually need to take care of other people more than you will have to take care of us. And so they ask these questions about dating life, about you would, you, these are the stories I don't feel like I can say without um, some people knowing that I'm talking about them because it's shocking the kinds of questions that get asked in interviews for women. And don't forget, by the way, that search committees will stalk uh, women, you know, online. Everybody knows this. They're going to find you online. And so if a woman is single and then they see you in pictures with people, then they're going to wind up asking sometimes the search committee about the person they saw you in pictures with. And yet I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen to the men. They might want to know about your family, but not in a way in which uh, it's intrusive into your decisions about your personal life. Yeah, some of the personal experience I've had with my colleagues um, who are women across many churches is the conversation, too, of, oh, we, we, you know, they've got their, oh, we've got a lot of single guys in this church that you might be interested in. It's like, what is this? this? Um, Tell us a little bit about how the report was conducted, uh, you know, what all was involved to, to, to gather this, this data? Yeah, our, we hired our project manager, Laura Ellis, last fall to do this report. Um, she spent countless hours. This is about all she did <laughs> for, for the last several months. Um, in terms of the survey, we, we worked over the course of a month or two to develop a survey to do research and see what are the, the things that women are being asked about in other workplaces and how those relate to being in a faith-related workplace. Um, of course, promoting, receiving, all of those things. And in the meantime, uh, Laura was also gathering data on pastors and students. And so uh, for some of the organizations that we were studying that meant one email and they sent us their statistics and that's fabulous. Um, For CBF specifically, we have a great partnership with the leadership at CBF. And so they generously shared with us a list of affiliating churches so that we could find out who the pastor was of every single church. Um, In order to find out 1,400 churches pastors, not all of those churches have websites. There's a lot of Facebook stalking and phone calls and things like that to go into it. So hours and hours of, of work to be able to present this data. In, in what ways do you think the COVID-19 pandemic affected some of the progress of not your organization, but Baptist Women sure. in Ministry? Yeah. Across society, it has been um, reported, recorded, studied the fact that the pandemic had disproportionately larger impacts on marginalized people groups, which does include women, um, especially women of color. Places where we saw that play out, um, we did ask some specific questions about how COVID played out in ministry. Um, One of the, the stats that was really not surprising but painful to read for me is that 42% of women in ministry considered downshifting their ministry career or taking a leave of absence. Among Baptists, as we're trying to make progress for women in ministry, um, because of the demands that were placed on women in in a time of crisis, they needed to step back and rightfully so. 
And what sh should happen in an ideal world is that we, we have this equal give and take in times of crisis. And so we, don't ha we wouldn't have to worry about how much that's going to set us back. But it's so important for women to be seen in leadership roles, leading well, leading effectively, even when that means ushering a church toward its death, that's still leading well, and we still need to see women doing that powerful work within the church. We still need to see women who are family life ministers and are doing that in ways that is bringing the church together, that are serving as missions ministers, that are serving as chaplains, and all of these places so that we can shift the way that, that these biases have, have seeped within our consciousness, which how they shape the landscape of Baptists. And when 42% of women have to consider downshifting, it sets us back. The other statistic where we really saw it was in ordinations. We had been averaging, um, being able to count around uh, 50s in the 50s of women's ordinations in Baptist churches every year. And in 2020, that number dropped to 21. Um, in 2021, it, it jumped up a little bit into the 40s. But that's a figure. If we can't get women ordained at the beginning, then we're definitely not going to make progress. And so... We're going to be monitoring that figure especially to make sure that we're not going to have such a permanent setback. I would love to see 2022's ordination numbers be 95 or 200 even um, so that we can make up some ground that was maybe lost. As you look at uh, some of the findings from the report, such as workplace discrimination, inappropriate questions and interview process, inadequate maternity leave, inadequate pay and job titles. On, on the flip side, you know, of, of those statistics, wh what gives you hope of the progress that's been made, let's just say, over the last decade? I definitely think many of those figures were much higher in the last decade. I do think we are seeing more women, you know, in terms of um, pay, for only 49% of women said that they felt like they were paid um, inequitably to their male counterparts. That means 51% of women felt like they were paid equally, and that's a big deal. Um, it still doesn't make up for the fact that 49% of women were not. And so it, to always remember that that represents e individual women is a big deal, but I think that is a place where we have seen progress. Interestingly, and I know this isn't the question that you asked, but um, as I work with search committees who are including women in their search processes, one of the things that I like to encourage them to do is um, if you call a woman, how about paying her more than you would have paid the male candidate? Let's do our part as the church to change the gender pay gap and to look back and see all of the ways in which economic opportunity has been denied to women for so long. And let's actually take an equitable approach. Pay them five or $10,000 more. You know what? They're gonna have to work harder for it anyways. Because mm. 72% of women said they have to provide more evidence of their competence than their male counterparts. That means for every woman that is in a similar position to a man, 
she's probably had to work three times as hard to get there and to keep that job and to keep the people who are paying her, supporting her, and believing her leadership. Yeah, at some point, and this is a conversation with this, we just got to talk about church pay in general. Mm. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> uh, progress does not equate arrival. So what steps need to be taken um, at a denominational level, at a state and regional level, and a congregational level to more effectively achieve equity and inclusion for women in ministry? I'm going to start with, like, actionable, something you can do today is when you get online to read this State of Women in Baptist Life report, you will also find a discussion guide that we created. The beginning of progress happens with honest conversations. And that means being willing to say, we have been a church that has prided ourselves on being supportive of women in ministry, but we need to now be honest about the ways in which we're a part of a group that has said that and had a huge gap between what is said and what is practiced. Um, and so the, the, the discussion guide leads through some of those discussions about particular contexts and then gives some opportunities for reflection on where things could go in the future for your particular congregation. I think every congregation, every organization, every institution is going to need to think a little bit differently about what the next steps are based on how honest they can be with their conversations. And honesty begins with listening closely to the women in your organization. It means creating a safe place for them to, to tell their stories, um, but they're the ones who are going to truly know. Uh, I, I often say every, every woman in ministry knows who Deacon McHansey is. They've had to survey their congregation so that they know who the deacons are that they can hug and who they're going to have to give a fist pump to because that deacon has not been educated on how the way in which they hug the pastor is harassment. So uh, honest conversations. Women in ministry know we, ha we have to perceive these things constantly in order to be able to function in our environments. Um, on a denominational level, I think we need to, to think a little bit more about the conversations we're having in our peer learning groups, um, in the ways in which we are um, supporting search committees. Gratefully, Jay Keevy and I are working really close together. Um, Jay has come up with some great ways to push search committees uh, into different ways of viewing women candidates. Uh, working with search committees is a big part of a move that I'm trying to make to take the statistics from this report and help search committees understand this is how these stats have affected your candidates and this is how the process as searching for a minister has helped to keep these statistics in the same way. And so let's think a little bit together about how we can not just say we're going to consider women and men candidates equally but instead, how are we going to create a process that considers women candidates equitably? That takes work, and it takes a lot of intentionality, but it really is a way that we can put into practice our, our theology about women. Um, I'll just say as, as a third piece, um, doing more sexual harassment prevention and um, education in our congregation is huge. 
um, you, you saw this in the report, one in four women in ministry indicated that they have experienced sexual harassment or assault in their ministry settings. That means one in four women are not safe to minister in Baptist churches. And so we need to keep having those conversations. Uh, in the congregational supports section, 51% of, of folks who responded said that their congregation never or rarely talks about sexual harassment or assault. And that means that they are disregarding the safety gifts and callings of 25% of the women who are currently serving in ministry. And that's not even those who are not. Um, so those are just a, a few ways to start. I, I love to have a quick action. Download that discussion guide. Pull together a group of peers, a group in your congregation, deacons, um, a seminary faculty, denominational committees and staffs. Begin having these conversations and then let, let us come alongside of you as you figure out what the next steps for your organization are. Your foreknowledge is baffling because my next question was going to be mm. how can the report be used as a tool, but you yes. are already covering that. Yes. So, um, you know, lastly, and kind of unrelated to the report, um, one of the things that um, I was so proud of when I was coordinating new church starts for CBF was that um, for every male pastor we were commissioning as a church starter, we were also commissioning a female pastor. Um, where does church starting fit into this conversation of um, creating a greater diversity, creating more opportunities? Um, and I don't want to say that as if like we're settling, uh, thinking that some traditional churches will never be there. That's not what I mean. But wh where does church starting fit into the conversation um, as, it, as it comes to uh, really uh, progressively and intentionally and thoughtfully um, growing the reach of Baptist women in ministry? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and you alluded to it in the question itself. Because many times women are told, the church is not ready for you, so you just have to go start a church. And so while church starting is a great place to change the culture of a particular congregation from the ground up to where it can be affirming of women, um, that congregation is also carrying baggage of who they know religion to have been over the past 2,000 years. And so those issues will still have to be dealt with in that congregation too, maybe in a different way. Um, but church starting is a great place. But as you say, it cannot be the answer because when women are told that by denominational officials, what they are saying is we are not willing to do the work in the churches that exist in order for you to have an opportunity to fully be who you are created in the divine image of God because it's just, we're just going to write them off. Yeah. So, yes, and <laughs> um, it, 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 it just can't be our out. It can't be. Yes, yeah, so and one of the unique aspects of, of church starting for CBF as it has existed in other iterations and hopeful for the future of what it can um, become was not an intentional recruitment of church planters or church starters, but people coming to us out of a sense of calling. Exactly, exactly. Of calling. Exactly. And what was, what was fascinating for, for me in my time in the six years I was doing it 
was the number of women who came to us from other denominations mm. who said my my people group my denomination does not affirm who i am but i see that y'all do yeah and i would love to start a church with you yeah. um and and walking in the process uh with them yeah and you, you said it right there there are women and men who have a sense of calling to that there are others of us who do not um and so being able to walk alongside people as they discern their calling and then to help make the differences so that they have those opportunities wherever they feel called uh, i think it's really important it's good well, our guest is Reverend Dr. Meredith Stone, the Executive Coordinator of Baptist Women in Ministry, or BWIM. Go to bwim.info to learn more about their extraordinary work and the 2021 The State of Women in Baptist Life Report. Um, Meredith, it's always an honor to sit down and talk with you, and thank you for your continued um, leadership in advancing the cause of Baptist Women in Ministry. It's a privilege, great privilege. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Have you ever wanted to study the life and teachings of Baptist ministers whose work in civil and human rights changed the world? Have you ever wanted to read and watch other speeches given by Dr. King? Are you concerned of the way King's life, teachings, and legacy are used by contemporary political and religious leaders? Are you a local pastor or church leader and want to take an evening course at a seminary? Apply today to audit the life and theology of Martin Luther King Jr. at Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Kentucky, talked by Dr. Lewis Brogdon. Visit bsk.edu backslash mlk to learn more. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.